Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we join together to worship you knowing that you are here, concerned about each one of us, waiting to speak your word, ready to forgive, bless and lead us. As we come in faith, meet with us now. In this hour, we bring you our songs and our reading of your word, our thinking and listening, our praying and praising. We bring the fellowship we share, the discipleship we offer, the world we belong to, and the lives you have given us. As we come in faith, meet with us now. We pray these things in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It is great to be worshiping the Lord with you today. My name is Steve, and I want to welcome you to First Baptist Church. Uh, I have had a great day already. Some uh, longtime friends, Judy and Earl, have stopped by as they're traveling through. They were a part of our church in Granada Hills and since moved up to Northern California in retirement. And good to see you guys today. We hope that you feel welcomed in the house of the Lord today. This is the Lord's house, and uh, the Lord loves you. And I hope that your spirit is lifted as we sing together, pray together, open the word together. I hope that God really meets your needs here this morning. Last week, I introduced our theme for 2006, and I want to spend just a minute reviewing, because if you don't review, it just kind of slides on by. So, what is the theme for our new year? Become a bridge, yes. And uh, we talked about that, and if you'll pull out your little insert here, we're going to go over what we talked about last week, because not everybody could be here, and review is just good for the soul. If we're going to become a bridge for God, and we were talking about becoming a bridge for God to use us, if we're going to do that, it all begins with what? Prayer. Thank you. I'm a little nervous because if you don't remember, I'm going to start crying right here in front of everybody. So whatever we do for God begins with prayer. We talked about that. We also talked about if we're going to be ready to serve the Lord, we have to what? Prepare. So we need to prepare ourselves for God to use us. And then I encourage you that if you pray for God to use you, and if you prepare for God to use you, God will use you. So the next word was what? This one's a little tougher. Participate. Participate when God wants to use you. Now, we talked about this at our staff meeting, and uh, Tim Hughes is our fuller intern this year. He's about to graduate. Come on up, Tim. He's about to graduate from Fuller Seminary. And Tim is working with us uh, in the area of young adult ministries. Um, Tim has a problem in life. Please say, oh. Yeah, we'll try that again. Tim has a problem in life. He's a PK. Oh, yeah. Grab a mic, Tim. That means a pastor's kid, preacher's kid. And uh, you just need to give special grace to PKs in in life. It's interesting. His dad is an American Baptist pastor, and Tim is also preparing for the ministry. You know that more, when you look at professions, more ministers' children go into ministry than any other profession. I think that's true. Anyhow, we're glad you're here, Tim. And uh, you shared with us that you you had a chance to become a bridge or participate. Tell us about that. Well, the other day, Stacy and I, uh, Stacy's my wife, um, and we had just come home from being out, and the phone rang. And I went over and answered the phone, and it was a collect call from the Los Angeles County Jail. And so I told <laughs> Stacy, I have a call, collect call from the jail. Should I take it? And Stacy said, well, Tim, 
it could be a God thing. And so I said, well, okay. And so I answered the phone and, and took the charge. And there's a guy on the other side of the line that was trying to reach his family in order to see about raising enough money for bail. And so I, I mentioned that he had the wrong number. It, he dialed a, an eight when he should have dialed a zero. And said, but you know what? I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm studying for the pastorate and I'd love to pray with you if you'd like. And so he said he would love that very much. And so we had a chance to pray, and I asked him what he'd like prayer for, and, and we prayed about his situation and just for protection while he was in, in jail and for his family's welfare. And then at the end, I said, and you know what? I would love to meet you face-to-face sometime. And this is where I go to church. And if you ever come by and you ever have the chance, why don't you come on by? And he mentioned, you know what? My bail bondsman lives on the, or has his office on the same street as that church. I know right where it is. And so I'm hoping that sometime soon I'll get to meet him. So it was a great chance. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. That's a great story, isn't it? Let's give Tim a round of applause. He was our, our, bridge, our bridge of the day, I think, or bridge of the week. So you're going to pray, you're going to prepare, you're going to participate. What was the next one? Proclaim. Preach, proclaim. Many of those P words will work. There comes a time when you need to speak up for the gospel and say, here is what God has done for me. That's proclaiming the good news. And then finally, you need to pay the price. And we ended by reminding ourselves there is a price to pay. John the Baptist paid the price for serving the Lord. Martin Luther King Jr. paid the price for serving the Lord. There is a price to pay if you're going to serve the Lord. So anyhow, that's a great review. Well, I can feel the tension in here. Some of you are sitting there wondering, did this guy make his bail? And am I sitting here next to somebody that just got out of jail? Well, stand up, Daryl, and let him know the story. No. (laughs) I grew up with convicts. Uh, My dad, when he moved back to Kansas City, Missouri, began to work for a mission there. And I ended up living on a farm called the Union Rescue Mission Farm in the Ozarks. And a lot of good things came out of that. One, I met my wife years later, and uh, you know that story. But anyhow, my dad, as he worked with alcoholics, men would come through the mission in Kansas City, and then there was a recovery program that they would live on the farm with us as they tried to uh, learn how to live a sober lifestyle and mainstream back into the community. And my dad ran that program. Also, and I don't quite understand the details of this, but um, in, in uh, a part of our time there, my dad was contacted by the state penitentiary in Jefferson City, Missouri. And it seems, at least at that time, there were men who could get out of jail, out of prison, but they didn't have anybody to be paroled to or to sponsor them or something. So dad, of course, signed up. And he said, well, you can parole them to me, or, or, or they can get out and we'll sponsor them. So my dad would occasionally, it didn't happen a lot, but it happened several times, would drive to Jeff City, Missouri, pick up the convict fresh out of jail, and bring him back to live with us on the farm. All the ones I remember had been in for murder. They'd been in a long time. And I can remember another, a number of those uh, gentlemen who came to live with us and began to work in the community. You can understand how popular my dad was in the community. Uh, but anyhow, as I thought about that this morning, I was thinking about the fact of how, for some men, my dad was a bridge from prison to freedom. He helped bridge so that they could get out of jail and begin to live again. And these men uh, met Christ. They were Christians. They were trying to come back into society in a healthy way. 
And so he was literally a, a life support, a bridge for some men as they got out of prison. And you may have just heard on the news this morning, the woman, or this week, the woman interviewed in Orange County who was just out of prison, had $200 to live on, and a very difficult story for her as she tries to come back into society. So he was a bridge to somewhere. Now, bridges are supposed to take you someplace. We build a bridge to go from one place to another, correct? Not always. How many of you know about the bridge to nowhere? Well, some of you do. Uh, we're going to put up some pictures. This is East Canyon. Uh, let me get back to my notes here. This is East Fork Canyon, and it's not far from here. And back in the 1920s, Los Angeles County began to build a bridge, a road rather, and it came out of San Gabriel Valley, went through East Fork Canyon, through Mine Gulch or something like that, and the, the point of the road was to go to Wrightwood through a very beautiful, beautiful scenic canyon. And throughout the 20s and into the 30s, the prison gang worked building this road. And they came to a spot where there was a great canyon, there's a creek, run, a river, small river, big creek running through the bottom of it, and they built a bridge, a beautiful concrete bridge. There it is. Now, in, on March 1st and 2nd in 1938, it began to rain like it rained last year here. Guess what happened? The water came rushing down in torrents down East Canyon and washed out five miles of road. And L.A. County realized it's just sheer foolishness to try to build this road up there because we'll never be able to withstand the rains. However, the brand new bridge is right there, and it's now called the Bridge to Nowhere. Has anybody seen that bridge in person? It's about a 10-mile hike. Dale, you've hiked up there. Oh, repelling. You could do some bungee jumping. Nice hike. How long does it take to get there on foot? Wow. If you're in good shape. Okay, you can look it up on the Internet, Bridge to Nowhere. It's what? If you find the trail. Yeah, there's their instructions. But this is the Bridge to Nowhere. Now, I got to thinking about that. There are bridges that don't lead any, anywhere. And I got to wondering, are there churches that you could say, this is a church to nowhere? You come here, you sit down. It's not going to take you anywhere, but it's a church. I think there are some churches like that. I got to thinking about some people I know. Are you with me? They're just going nowhere. They're people to nowhere. They're people. They're alive. They're just not going anywhere. We call it treading water. Now, as I talked to you this morning about becoming a bridge for God, uh, what does it mean? We're really talking about being used by God. We are talking about going somewhere. And this morning, and I don't think this is probably grammatically correct, but I want to dig a little deeper. I don't know if you can dig deeper with a bridge, but we're going to. I want to explore this subject a little more today. And I want to use three questions as we talk about becoming a bridge. And the first question would be, why, you know, why, or you could say when. Those are two questions. We'll deal with them together. And then finally, I want to deal with the question, to whom? To whom am I going to become a bridge? So I encourage you again to find those notes in your uh, bulletin that we looked at already. And I would like to begin with the question of when. When should I become a bridge? And I would like you to write in the blank, Three letters, capital N, capital O, capital W. That does not stand for 
you know what it doesn't stand for. Write in the word now. Become a bridge now. Why do I say become a bridge now? Between now and Easter, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Mark. And J.R. is going to talk to you in a minute about reading through the Gospels. And I'm going to encourage you to take that yellow card that you have and write on it, yes, Gospels, or yes, Mark, or make some kind of a response so that uh, we know you're reading with us. But I'm going to be preaching from Mark from now until Easter. And as you read the book of Mark, there are several reasons why I say become a bridge now. And the first one is um, a cosmic reason. Become a bridge now because a cosmic event has occurred. In Mark chapter 1, verse 10, there's this following scripture. Would someone just, well, I'll read it. He saw the heaven being torn open. Now, to get an idea of this, I'm not used to holding a mic, so excuse me as I tangle up. Just picture for a minute that if uh, a miracle sort of occurred and we had this amazing worship experience and it was as though the roof came off, not an explosion, but the roof just sort of disappeared off this building, and you looked up and it was as though the the sky was split open and you knew you were actually seeing heaven. That'd be something, wouldn't it? You'd say, wow, what a church service. Now, the story is, as John the Baptist became came baptizing, as Jesus came to him and was baptized, when Jesus was baptized, it says the heaven was what? Torn open. And so somehow, and I don't know what that means, but it means somehow they said, I'm, I'm looking at heaven right now. I'm not looking at the sky. I'm looking at heaven. And the word is our word for schism. There was a schism in the sky. Boom, it just opened up. Now, when you go to the end of the Gospel of Mark, while Jesus is being crucified and dying on the cross in Mark 15:38, you read there, and since I can't hold the Bible and read at the same time, it, you read there the words, something to the effect, that while Jesus was dying, it said in the temple, the curtain was torn, same word, from top to bottom. The curtain got torn open. It's the curtain that separated people in the temple. It was a division. And so Mark uses these two words, in a sense, to say, wow, a cosmic event is occurring. Something big is happening. So when I encourage you to become a bridge now, I think we're reflecting what Mark was saying when he wrote the Gospel. And right off in the story, heaven bursts open. That doesn't happen every day. And Mark is saying, something big is happening. Well, what's happening? Jesus is here. God is doing something in the world. It reminds you when... Paul was writing, he said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And so there's the, a the schism in the sky, which brings me to the second reason for the urgency. Let's put that one up there. It is the right time, the right time. In uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, let's look at that scripture. It says, the time has come. Now, what time is it? Somebody have the time? 11, 12, 11, 15, somewhere in there. You don't need watches anymore, do you? It's 11, 11. Exactly. That's, that's uh, coordinated with the clock in Colorado. It's 11, 11. This is my, my chronograph. It's my watch. And the word chronos is the word for time. You know, this is January 22nd, 2006. That's what time it is. That's not the word Jesus used. There's a different word. 
And it's the, it's the idea of the right time. And Jesus says, the time has come. It's a big statement. It's just the right time. For example, as you watch football this afternoon, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And you may say of a quarterback, well, his timing was off. He wasn't throwing the ball accurately. Or if you're watching someone and she's batting and she keeps hitting the ball out of the park, you say, her timing is perfect today. She's just smacking that ball. It's the right time. When you want to propose to somebody to marry him, you pick what? The right time. And Jesus came and said, the right time is here. And so another reason to become a bridge is that a cosmic event has occurred. Christ is here. And it's the right time. Jesus said so. And Paul said, in the fullness of time, at the right moment, God sent his son. God picked the time. And so it's the right time. And there's a third reason. It's not Miller time. Would you turn to your neighbor and say, it's not Miller time? It's really not. It's kingdom time. Jesus said so. It's kingdom time. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And Jesus came announcing the kingdom. It's a new day, my friend, and that's why there's a sense of urgency. Build a bridge now. There is a sense of urgency. One last reason for this sense of urgency. In the book of Mark, Mark, if you were reading the King James translation, it would come out more clearly. But Mark loves the words in English. Our word would be straightway or immediately. Immediately Jesus did this. Straightway he did that. And it's used a number of times here in the first chapter. Now, the modern translations kind of skew it over somewhat, but over 40 times, Mark says, immediately, straightway. There's a sense of urgency to the gospel. Jesus is here. Don't fool around anymore. The kingdom has come. It is time to do something. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you were to say, Steve, you know, why should, there, why should I be a bridge? When should I be a bridge? Become a bridge now. Because today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Those are words of Scripture. They're not my words. And so there is a sense of urgency to become a bridge now. And I want to encourage you. Are you going to join us in that sense today of saying, yes, I will make myself available to be used by God so that when I get a collect call from the jail, can you believe that? (laughs) I got a call this week. This is, shows you how much of a Christian Tim is, and I'm not. You know, my first reaction is always to get off the phone. And it was, uh, I had gotten home, and uh, the phone rang. I was trying to get some dinner together, and I thought, you know, it's another sales call. The lady says, I'm from ADP. And I said, oh, I don't need a security. I have a cat system. My cat patrols the... No, so I'm starting to hang up. She said, no, no, don't hang up. I'm from ADP. I said, I don't want anything from ADP. She said, I'm your security company at the church. I said, oh, she said, your alarm is going off. Do you want me to call the police? I said, no, please don't. They can have whatever they're there after. So I don't know why the alarm went off. Nothing was taken. But uh, you see, my, my uh, anyhow, I'm going to try to be more patient on the phone. When are we supposed to become a bridge? Yes, when are we going to become a bridge? All right, I want to a- answer one last question. To whom should we become a bridge? Become a bridge to family and friends. Let's begin with family. Become a bridge to family and friends. In the outline there, I have the scripture from John 1, chapter, uh, first, uh, John chapter 1, verse 41. 
the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him we have found the Messiah. He found his brother. Friends, your best success at becoming a bridge is going to be with your family. Now, I know that can be difficult as well. There are some huge challenges, but let me demonstrate something to you. Listen closely. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Unless that's just really difficult for you, I want you to stand up. If you can't stand, you can wave your hand. But um, the question is this. Who brought you to Jesus Christ? If you're a follower of Jesus, and I said, well, how did you come to Jesus? Who would be that most important person or persons who brought you to Jesus? And the first question I want to ask, if it was your mother or father or both of them, stand up with me. My parents brought me to the Lord. So if it was your parents, would you stand? Look around. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because of our parents, we're Christians today. That's amazing. Thank you. Be seated. Now, I've been wanting to do this all day. If it was some other family member, for, for, for example, a brother or a sister, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin, if it was somebody, some other family member that brought you to Christ, would you stand? Okay. Good. Wow, that's more than I thought it would be. That's good. Be, be seated. Now, I think that simply represents the fact that uh, you're most likely to bring somebody to Christ that's in the sphere called your family. And moms and dads, let me especially pause here to you. The, the number one people you ought to bridge to are your children. So that you walk the walk, you talk the talk, you're in church, you're taking them to church, your children are going to value Christ at just about the same level you value Christ. That's the reality. And so I want to encourage you in that, that your greatest opportunity to be a bridge is with your own children. It's huge. And that was demonstrated. Most of us in this room who know Jesus came to him through a family member. That's just the way God works. And so I want you to find that uh, brightly colored card like this. And I want you to be thinking about it. You don't need to do this right now. But as you look at that card, this is your invitation list. You're going to do two things. You're going to write names down here, and you're going to pray for these people. And if God creates the opportunity, you're going to bring them to our Valentine's Day banquet. And you say, well, Steve, they're not married. I don't care. They can have fun. Bring them. We're having a great big banquet on the 14th of February. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's in the gym. It is fun. It's not serious. It's a great chance to build bridges. This may be our number one bridge-building event of the year. It's just going to be fantastic. And I want you to be thinking about family members' names you can list here. Now, if the family member is a Christian, don't list their name here. You can bring them. They're welcome. But that's not what this is for. Are you with me? Okay, so first of all, become a bridge to your family. Secondly, become a bridge to your friends. And I, I want to talk about that. Let's look at the scripture on this one. First chapter of John is all about Jesus collecting his team. And we have this scripture, Philip found Nathanael and told him. What did he tell him about? He told him about Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and told him. I want to encourage you to become a bridge to your friends. Wednesday at our staff meeting, last week, and we're going to do the same thing this week, we began to talk about Two realities. First of all, personally, how are we as a staff, as individuals, going to live this out? How will I become a bridge? And then secondly, how will the ministry each staff person leads, how will that become a bridge this year? 
In other words, how does this apply in discipleship? How does it apply in children's ministry, worship, etc.? Now, as we talked about personally, how can we become a bridge? The reality is that we have a lot of Christian ghettos. Fuller Seminary, First Baptist Church. We create these places where we, in where we live and move and have our being, and we never have to rub shoulders with non-Christians. Pretty neat, huh? Or not? And the reality in my life is that uh, as I pastor the church here, as I'm at Atherton this week, as I go about my business, I'm almost exclusively around people who already know Jesus. It's easy. You know, Christians have got it all together, no problems. Well, besides that, so I have to intentionally cultivate, if I want to be a bridge to someone who's far from God, I have to intentionally cultivate ways to do that, because in my normal life, I just don't meet non-Christians very often. And so one way I do that is yesterday I went cycling. I cycled with Tall Paul. He's got tattoos from here down, quite an array of tattoos. And he's a friend of some friends of ours, and I couldn't find anybody to ride with, so Paul and I went out and got a little bit acquainted for an hour and a half as we biked together. He's a non-Christian as far as I know. Now, did I talk to him about the Lord? No, I'm building a relationship. I've also tried to hang out in the community, so I go for coffee down the street, and I've met people down the street. If you uh, hear a rumor that the pastor was hanging out at the bar last Wednesday night, just nod to somebody and say, yeah, I know it. That's okay. He's building bridges. And one of the fellows I met down the streets named Sam. He works for a museum curator shop down here. And I've gotten to know Sam, and he likes to play country and western music uh, of some sort. And so as we've talked, uh, Sam said, well, I'm playing here in Pasadena in a couple weeks. And uh, that was a few weeks ago. And I said, where? And he said, at the Old Town Pub. I said, where is that? He said, well, you go back through this alley behind this building. It's a little hole in the wall back there. Marcy's nodding. You know where that's at, Marcy? I didn't see you there. You missed it. Um, anyhow, he said, I'm going to play there Wednesday night. I said, I'll be there. So I got there about 10 o'clock. And uh, he said, you know, I'm sorry, but these things always start late. And there's three other acts up in front of us. We're going to be kind of late. You can go home if you want. And I thought, that's not him. Um, so anyhow, I said, no, I'm starving to death. I'll go get some food. And so I wandered around Old Town. And I couldn't find any food. I ended up at a coffee shop. And uh, got a bag of potato chips. That was dinner. And I thought it was too late to have coffee. So as I'm leaving, I uh, hear that somebody say, Pastor Steve! And it's Evan. He's hanging out at the coffee shop too. And I thought, wow, this is a whole new world out here that I'm oblivious to. And so finally, about 11.30 on Sunday night, my friend started playing. And I stayed there as long as I could till a little after 12 to listen to this group. There were only about, you know, it's a tiny little place, about 20 people. Why would I do that? I'm trying to build a bridge. And the reality is I, I learned a lot that night and I learn a lot as I'm around people who are far from God that helps me as a pastor. But as we wrap this up this, today, I'm serious about this bit, business of becoming a bridge. And I think that if you look at Scripture, there is a sense of urgency. You ought to be a bridge for God to reach people who are far from God. And if you will be available to God, God will use you. Now, there are two other reasons I want to, to provide as we conclude. This is not the main reason, but I think it's worth noting. Do you remember back in August a prophet came to visit us? He prophesied over in the chapel. His name was Bill Hoyt. You never like prophets. I'm glad I'm not a prophet. You, you don't have to like a prophet. They didn't like him in the Old Testament. But the prophets speak truth. 
And Bill reminded us that our church has been in decline for years and decades and decades, going down, down, down. And there will come a time when we can no longer heat this place. We turn the heat on at 3 a.m. It's still cold in here. There will become a time when First Baptist can no longer heat this room or keep up this building and will shut the doors. Unless we turn around and go in a new direction. Unless we begin to grow. And so I think another reason to become a bridge is so that we will leave a legacy to those who come after us at First Baptist Church to say, that's a thriving, life-giving place. Can you imagine with me? Can you imagine if you were sitting here right now and the balcony was full? gives me goosebumps just to think about it. I'd like to see that. I'd love to see that. Not for my glory or our glory, but for the glory of Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? It could happen. But only if we become a bridge to the community so God can use us. That'd be an amazing story to say this old church got turned around and filled up again with the good news of Jesus. But we'd have to, we'd have to pay a price, too. The last point, remember. And so that's another reason to become a bridge. And then I'll, I'll offer one more and then I'm done. The question I want to ask you at the end is, how much do you value Jesus? What is Jesus worth to you? Because I think as you reflect on that question, that will help you as to whether or not you think anybody else should come to Christ. If you have a high value for Jesus, if he has done much in your life, you're going to want to share that with others. If you have a low value and Jesus is just something you do, then you're probably not likely to share him with others. This morning, as I conclude, I want you to find that little uh, note, uh, your sermon note list. On the end of that is a prayer. And I'd like you to do two things. I'd like you to find that pink card and be writing down the names of people that are in your life who are far from God. And you're going to pray for those people and you're going to see if you can't invite them to the Valentine's Day banquet. So that list goes with you and you'll write that down on the pink card. Secondly, and you keep the card, on this yellow card, we'd like the first names. I don't need the full name, but we want to pray with you about this as a staff. And so if you'll transfer those names to this yellow card, then we'll pray with you. We're going to do this each week from now until Valentine's Day, so let me encourage you to do that. This final moment is for you. This is a time of reflection for you to respond to the message and then in your own time to pray the prayer that's at the end of those sermon notes. Please, let's take a moment with the Lord and to hear the word of the Lord to us. This has been a good day in the house of the Lord. As you go forth, know that Christ goes with you. The Lord is our shepherd. The peace of Christ is in us. Go forth in the power, the presence, and the peace of the living Christ. Amen. God is with you.